Welcome to Honest Conversations, a podcast in its inaugural season talking about the things that go unsaid or unheard in and around the education system. This is a Yes Prep original. My name is Carmen Darville, known to my work peeps as CRD, and I'm your host, a wife, mama too, and the chief of staff at Yes Prep Public Schools. I'll be sharing a little bit more about myself throughout the series, but there will be time for that. Today I'm here with our CEO, Mark DeBella, the guy who planted the seed for me to make this thing a reality. To the man who can crack a joke to keep us sane, the visionary leading us through, the man on the hook for ensuring we come out still standing despite crisis after crisis. Together we have tackled challenges big and small, some we shook off and some that shook us. Harvey, Imelda, and we are on to our greatest challenge yet, reopening schools in a global pandemic. Welcome to my leader, my homie, Yes Prep CEO, Mark DeBella. Subdue. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for being here today to kick this thing off. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped. I mean, don't mess it up. NGU's <laughs> on deck, okay? I know. I've already felt the pressure. <laughs> I believe in you. So what we have in store today, people completely underestimate the journey in education. It's full of unexpected departures from the core business of educating students. It is a complex sociological equation that accounts for Maslow's and swinging for the fences. 2020 has been demanding in ways seen and unforeseen. In front of mine over the past several months is the intersection of equity, access, and the pandemic. So for our inaugural episode, we wouldn't dare hold back. So let's talk about the challenges of reopening schools in a pandemic and how it pressure tests even the most equitable systems when it comes to access and justice. So how are you holding up, boss? It's been a it's been a long seven months. It felt like, you know, we went on spring break and we're supposed to get some relaxation and it never it never stopped. Basically we've been going hard since I think it was March eleventh. Remember when we thought this thing was gonna be like one or two weeks? I do. <laughs> when the rodeo shut down, we're like, okay, maybe this is the real deal. And then all the dominoes started falling. Seriously, in truest form, I was sitting at Spanky's, eating a slice of pizza, and then the rodeo shut down. And I was like, good oh, thing shoot. I went last weekend. Yeah. yeah, here it goes. And here we are now. So what has been the most difficult part of reopening schools in a pandemic? I think the weight of the lives that we're responsible for uh, sits heavy with me. I know it sits heavy with you. It's balancing physical safety of our staff and students and their families with the responsibility we've been given to educate our children and trying to figure out how you keep people safe, but also keep kids learning. Uh, because the goal is to come out on the other side with everybody still intact, uh, but also having not put us in a place where kids are set back years and years from the learning they need. So it's been challenging, right, to say the least, and the nuance involved in getting this thing right, lots of false dichotomies drawn about it must be this or that. Yep. You spent a bunch of time educating all of us, really schooling us on like, y'all are tripping. It's not this or that. Yep. There's all this gray in between. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I just think in general, a good leadership lesson is the world exists in nuance. And when you have a, something as complicated as a global pandemic, people want to be like, oh, shut, shut schools down forever. Or, oh, let's rush to reopen schools. And it turns out both of those, generally speaking, when you've got two options, they're both wrong. 
and you need to push. And our boy Pete Up would totally agree with this. You have to push yourself. You have to push your team. What are the multiple options that we should pursue? Because if you're stuck in a dichotomy, chances are you're going to pick between two wrong options. That's real. Um, I think it's completely reshaped my thinking about how you get to a solution. Um, it's never the obvious thing. Yep. Not in a complex problem. If you go with the first solution, you can almost guarantee that thing's wrong. And it doesn't get much more complex than this. I mean, we've had to become health experts. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the lo load of stuff we've had to tackle over the last seven months is probably more work in seven months than in the last two, three years combined. It's just insane. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, it kind of trips me out before, you know, I was always trying to go pedal to the floor and people are like, slow down, yeah, yeah. you're moving too uh -huh. fast, we'll get there. Yep. And then all of a sudden we do 10 years of work in seven months. I mean, are people's minds changed or what? Yes. And it's also that, you know, I think we have a new understanding of what's really important. I look back at some of the stuff we used to stress about and think, really, that was our biggest problem. And I'd kill, kill to go back then. I mean, do you still have your Pendaflex or have you realized that that's a thing of the past? In case our viewers don't know, I used to have this plastic piece of junk that I put my papers in. That thing is a thing of the past. Gone. <laughs> Forever. So 2019. So 2019. So what would you say has been the best part of the pandemic? And by best, I mean, what are the wins? I think that's the conversation that's not being had about yeah. some incredible accomplishments that we've made. I think it's forced us to become a more agile organization, a more agile team. Uh, organizations tend to exist in these silos, these boxes. You know, I have this job, you have this job. And when you're, when you're at battle, which is what we are, those roles don't matter nearly as much as how are we all going to come together, work together, cross teams. Because really all that becomes important is seeing yourself and others and your students safely to the other side. And whatever structure you got to create in order to get that goal done is what you do. Real. It's, it's funny. Yesterday I was talking to Fagan and Vigil about the TEA rapid test pilot. Yep. And they're like, we are now pretty much running doctor's offices on exactly. our campuses. But I remember when we were having conversations about wraparound services and saying like, how can we partner with medical services uh -huh. to run our schools? And that's like a joke now. Like it's yep. a given that we're going to take medical considerations for the families that we serve. Well, and you talk about silver linings. I think it's probably too early to start listing silver linings, but this will be one where a year, two years from now, think about how differently we'll consider education in the context of health and, and health and human services. It's just going to be wildly, a wildly different scene. Yeah. It, it would be crazy to parse out the functions at this point. Yep. So we're no longer going to consider health as an important yeah, exactly. priority. Like get out of here. Yep. So we know that 2020 is like a bad multiple choice exam. You know, the kind where there's no right answer and the directions say, choose the best answer mm -hmm. where the options are the best of the worst. Given the additional strain the pandemic causes underserved communities of color to face, how do we begin to make sense of justice and access? You know, a softball. Yeah, exactly. So I think about this in terms of a dream I have. So I still have dreams from when I was in college about sitting before tests, like sitting down for tests and not being prepared for it and freaking out, wake up in a cold sweat. Now the cold sweat is wake up and fear that we've done something that has put people in harm's way, uh, that people have lost their lives under our care, uh, especially that people who are already vulnerable have suffered because of decisions that we've made. And what's broken me out of that cold sweat is realizing that A, B, C, D, and E are all flawed choices. The only thing you can't do is nothing. And so you don't get a choice 
to say, well, I'll, I'll just take the test tomorrow. You are forced to take the test now and make the choice you think is best. But tomorrow you're going to find out the choice you picked was suboptimal. And so you go back and you tweak that suboptimal choice and just keep getting closer and closer to a best answer, knowing you'll never get the right answer. That's the only thing that's helped me sleep through the night recently. But do you think there's a straight up wrong answer? Yeah, it's like there's a, you know, in a good old multiple choice test, there's one that's complete trick question. Right. Yeah, there is, there's usually one of those. Uh, but for the most part, we're choosing between two or three suboptimal choices. And the challenge is, is that, as you mentioned, we serve predominantly low-income communities, communities of color who are being disproportionately hit by this pandemic as they are with most pandemics. And so trying to figure out how to make sure that communities that are traditionally vulnerable don't become more vulnerable under our care is a huge consideration for us as a team. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot too just about being a mother and a wife and like thinking about Cooper and Roe and how they fit into this equation and how do I serve them well in relation to how we serve the students of Yes Prep well. Um, I think it's also changed me as a mother. This is more family time than what I could have (laughs) ever imagined. And I'm like not built for that stay at home mom life, um, as you might imagine. Um, I'm curious how it's changed you as a father or as a spouse. Yep. Uh, So I've spent the last seven months with my teenage daughter and I used to be a middle school teacher. I thought teaching middle school is hard. Parenting middle school is hard. Uh, Parenting a middle schooler is hard. But I'm fortunate because my kids are 12 and 14. You know, families that are going through this with kids that are three, four, uh, that is a massive struggle. And it's something that we roll into our thinking about how we're going to respond. But for for me as a father, uh, I've started to think like, you know, time is short, right? Time is a blessing. And I've got four years left with my daughter before she goes off to college. And so those times where I'm like, am I going to get a break from this? I try and reframe it like, what a, what a, privilege what a blessing to be able to spend time uh, with my kids that I might never get back in the future yeah I mean it's interesting how you know a lot of time is spent talking about like the nuclear family it's not what it used to be etc and then in 2020 it was like jokes on us put that back together stay in your house you know yep um and essentially create your own bubble Mm -hmm. um so it's been a, a fascinating ride I think it has made me carve out time that I didn't think that I had uh, with my own kids. Yeah, we joke because uh, we eat dinner together every night. And one night I was praying and I said, you know, thank you for our time together as a family. And my daughter laughed and said, dad, <laughs> like, really? Like, we've had plenty of time together as a yeah. family. I think, I think he heard the, uh, I think he heard the prayer and answer. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are as a black woman, white man, obviously charged with leadership in an arena with hardly any easy answers. Why does our partnership work? What is the greatest value as we stand in our intersections to serve our students and staff well against the odds? I think our partnership works because we have just unwavering trust in each other. Uh, And I remember the first time you called me homie, I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, this means that we've kind of turned a new corner in our relationship. You trust me in a way that um, I think allows me as a leader to take a deep breath. And there have been times where I think you've said to me like, yo, just take a deep breath, chill out. Like you don't have to be more than you are. Like you got a team around you. And I think it's that, that trust that we've built as a team, trust that we've built as individuals that allows us to, to be our authentic selves and lead from, I think a place of, of comfort, but also like when we need to get uncomfortable, we do. 
uh, founded on trust. Yeah, I think that's critical. I think it's what sets our team apart, um, our diversity and our intersections. And I think gloves are always off. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I appreciate. Don't fall asleep for a second. No, or else yeah. uh, the world may have changed. Um, so you visited all of our campuses at this point, right? I got one more to get to. I might go right after this. Okay. Yeah. Who's left on the list? East End. Oh, okay. So tell me your takeaways from the campus visits. So last year I'd go to a campus and I kind of knew exactly what to look for. Go to a class, you can kind of have an archetype of what a class should look like. I'm having to rebuild that whole schema for what a school looks like in 2020. Uh, so it's, it's less clear, you know, what I should be looking for in a classroom, in the halls. Uh, but I'm mostly looking for making sure our safety protocols are in place, making sure kids are happy to be at school. You know, they're, they're forced with a choice between sit at home behind a computer and sit at school behind a computer with plexiglass around you. Just want to make sure that if they're at home or in school, either place, that it's a place where they can still find joy and meaning. So I'm looking for student joy and staff and student safety. Isn't it funny to think about when we were going to launch our elementary schools, we thought the biggest challenge was going to be launching our elementary schools. Yeah. And now at this point, it just seems like a blip on the radar, right? Like that we've launched these elementary schools and that was a foregone conclusion that we would do it and do it well and yep. fill seats, et cetera. What do you think about that now? I think the lesson learned in this is whatever you think is the biggest obstacle of the day, just wait. Because <laughs> the biggest obstacle is like five minutes away. Real talk. So I was looking up some information as I prepared for our conversation today. Oh, no. <laughs> Not information on you. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll spare them okay. for now. Okay. But I got you. Uh, people of color are miracles, defying the odds with their very existence. Mm. And that like really resonated with me because I'm like, just, I just got off the call, got off a call with one of our employees who I've had coaching conversations with over the years. And Quite frankly, she feels like some people did her dirty, right, mm. in the organization. Um, and she is an identity mirror for me, another black woman in the org. And I think of her like, don't set yourself back because of what this person is doing over there. And surely don't let people mess with your coins. Mm -hmm. If there's an opportunity on the table, then go chase it and don't worry about what happened to you before. And then I'll rally with you. And so when I think about that, I think about all the consciousness that people of color live with um, that allows us to both keep our head on a swivel and still put one foot in front of the other on a daily basis. What do you think about that quote, right? Like I think of some of our teammates, um, I think of one in particular whose family had to cross the border, um, who worked like in migrant fields growing up and now sits right next to us. Yep. I, I believe that people of color are miracles. Amen. Um, I think about it in terms of, I was asked recently, you know, what was the driving force that got you to where you are right now? And if I was honest, it was luck, right? And it was being in the right place at the right time, someone who was ready to pull me forward. Um, and luck falls in my favor more often than not because I'm a white guy. Uh, people of color don't get that luck often. Uh, I wouldn't say ever, but often. And so I think I can be, I can be just okay and luck will propel me forward. At least the people of color I work with being just okay isn't enough. And I will never in my entire life forget, um, after George Floyd's murder, where we were on a team's call, this is early June and you, uh, 
you had this moment with us where you said, I will work harder, I will work longer hours, I will prove to everyone that I am not an awesome teammate in spite of being black, but I am an awesome teammate because I'm black and I am going to prove it to every person who comes in my, comes in my path. And I remember we just stopped and it's like, I, I didn't even want to say last word to Carmen, just typed, we're done. Um, that was a miraculous moment for me, real learning moment for me. And then one last thing I'll say about it is your push to me that, you know, it's okay to be proud. It's especially, I think, okay and it's necessary for people of color, yes, prep to be proud of their work, um, not to get lost in humility, but to really embrace pride for the work they've accomplished. And I think be proud of who they are yeah. and where they come from. Like just talking about assimilationist theory and things like that, I think for the first time in people's lives when they come work at Yes Prep, they can be proud of where they come from. Mm -hmm. And like the power in that is undeniable, right? Where I can wake up each day and be authentically me and then kill it at work. Oh, and you do kill it. Listen, you got to bring the heat. So, I mean, this is a 24-7 gig, running schools in a pandemic, definitely the gig that we did not sign up for. And yet students are learning. Like I think of my own daughter, she's thrilled to go to school every day. So, I mean, with the students that you've talked to so far, what's their take on attending classes and showing up on our campuses in a pandemic? I am now 24 years into public education and you'd think I'd learn by now, but every year I relearn, kids are the most resilient beings out there. Um, you can throw just about anything at them and they will adapt and they will succeed. I think the challenge for us is not taking that resiliency for granted uh, because what we want to do is make sure that they exercise their resiliency, but that they also don't come out of this sc permanently scarred. Uh, so we're still trying to make sure that there's just joy in our school. So I, when I go to school, I'll ask them like, hey, how are, how are you doing? How are you learning? And then I want to take the next step and be like, what's life like for you? How, you know, how, what are you doing to have fun? And I saw a kid in a full Dodgers uniform the other day. <laughs> and I said, like, hey, man, congrats on the win, even though I wasn't actually <laughs> actually congratulating him in my heart. And he goes, man, I was just so nervous, just so nervous. I was like, now that's a true fan. But we just talked about sports and had a, had a good time connecting as humans. That's real. Um I mean, the show must go on, right? It does. And you got to find your joy. And as we talk about very commonly, joy itself is an act of resistance mm. and just staying the course. Like if you can find it in this season, you will be able to find it in any season of your life. Um, and so I really think like as, a, as I was looking up quotes, like to kind of sum our conversation up today, I found this quote by Evans from Walking My Shoes. And it says, taking mom's ham, I whispered, are we really safe here? And I think that just sums it up. Hmm. Like, are we really safe here? As safe as we possibly can be, I'd say. Hmm. What's your take? I think we are working incredibly hard to make sure people are physically safe. Um, but we've been working hard for, and, and that's something we've been working at for seven months, especially. But I think we've been working hard as an organization for decades now to make sure that people are more than just physically safe. It's, it's a kind of a low bar before the pandemic to be just physically safe. It's a much higher bar to be emotionally safe, spiritually safe, safe in your sexuality, safe in your religious beliefs, like holistically safe. I would say that's what we have to make sure that we don't just default to the low bar of physical safety here, but it's the holistic safety. 
Yeah. And I even think of mental and emotional safety for our teammates who have lost people and just can't grieve the way that you'd want to grieve or to celebrate a life the way you want to celebrate a life. But when I think of my own safety, I'm safer here than I've ever been anywhere else. Mm. I'm safer here than any of my previous employers. So I also don't take that for granted. And I hope that teammates throughout the org feel that way. They're like, if I have to be anywhere and I still have to have this job because I got these bills, then I'm safer here than where I would be anywhere else. Yep, definitely. So as the first majority minority city in our country, it's time to set the example. Let's lead Houston forward. MD, thanks for being here. Thanks, CRD. This has been your first episode of Honest Conversations, a Yes Prep original.